Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Do you remember that piece that I did? It might have been a long read. It might not have been. About the economics of Spotify and music streaming generally and how the way things are structured right now, there's no way for a, quote, middle-class artist to thrive. If you pay your $10 a month to Spotify, some percentage of that is going to Justin Bieber, whether you listen to him or not. That piece really stuck with me because of the implications it had for artists generally as we move to this subscription for everything future. So I called up the ringer's Victor Luckerson, who wrote the piece, to talk about this because there are a lot of reasons why the current model could and should be improved. Aside from the economics, there are also questions of play fraud and even how music itself might be getting warped by these incentives. But first... How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. 
Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Okay, let's talk about the economics of music streaming with The Ringer's Victor Luckerson. This this piece that you did, I, I think I did it on the show a couple weeks ago about uh, the basic economics of Spotify, really stuck in my head. Um, let's let's stick with the basics in terms of, as you say in the piece, I think I knew this, but I think most people are surprised about how Spotify actually works in terms of how artists get paid. So let's do basics first. If I pay my $10 or whatever a month, and uh, over the course of that month, I only play, say, Morrissey songs or something. Um, mm-hmm. My whole $10 or even whatever, the percentage of it, it doesn't all go to Morrissey, right? Yeah, that's right. So first off, uh, the, artist is gonna get, the artists are going to get about 70% of the $10, but it's not necessarily going to be for the people that you listen to because Spotify essentially puts all the streams of everybody into one big pot and then the artists get their share of the total streams. So if you listen, if you listen to Spotify a lot during the course of a month, then you're going to be contributing more money to artists than uh, other subscribers. You don't use the services as often as you do. Well, that's the other, that's the other wrinkle of it. So if I, if I pay, if I listen, not at all, not, not even, not even a second, but I'm still paying mm-hmm. my $10. So then the $10, how does that get divvied up? That give, uh, So that $10, or the, sorry, the $7 after Spotify's cut, that gets mm-hmm. divvied up based on the most popular streams that month? That's exactly right. So really your $10 is going towards a gigantic pot of money for all of the artists. And then whether you listen to a single song or not, somebody's still going to get that money. Um, so that's going to make, make it so that the artists who are able to attract the most repeat streams again and again, I'm going to be making more money than artists who don't get as many streams, sort of regardless of whether or not people like either artist more, basically. Right. So even if I've never listened to Justin Bieber in my life, uh, every (laughs) month, chances are (laughs) some pennies of mine are going to Justin Bieber. That is, that is very, very likely because he's really good at uh, getting a lot of streams on Spotify. Yeah, actually, we're gonna we're gonna come to that in, in a second. Um, so, the in your piece, you you spoke to um, uh, one of these what you call middle class artists that is very vocal about how this sort of economics is unfair to what you termed as um, you know the musical middle class. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're we're familiar with the idea because we've seen headlines for years. This artist said that you know she. Um, there were 2 million streams for a combined total of 190,000 hours. Um, and she only received $12,000 or about a half a penny a stream. I think we understand that, but how, how does, if she's describing herself as a middle-class musical artist, um, how is that harming her, um, in, in the sense that she's not getting a bit enough, a big enough slice of the pie? Yeah, that's kind of the idea. For somebody like uh, Zoe Keating, who is this avant-garde cellist uh, who lives in Vermont, um, she might have fans who don't necessarily stream her songs on repeat as often. She's creating these sort of like moody instrumentals that you're not going to necessarily play as often as you would play like the latest Justin Bieber pop song, for example. Um, The songs are also longer. Her songs are like 
five to seven, maybe even eight minutes long. So just the fact that it takes you twice as long to play the song means you're getting half as much money, essentially, as you would if you played the Bieber song twice. So there's a lot of different factors that sort of make it so that it's likely that if we were going to a different model where my money went to the only artist that I listened to, she could very well end up better off. Right. So describe that model. It's, um, I, I believe, a couple uh, maybe overseas streaming services um, have, have moved to this model. But basically, it would be almost exactly what we're describing where uh, if I listen to only Morrissey, only Morrissey gets my $7. That's exactly right. So right now they need they need a, they need a catchier term for it, but right now the industry is calling this the user centric model, and the idea is just what you said that my ten dollars per month would be distributed among only the artists that I listen to. So essentially, Spotify or whatever service would sort of keep track of your royalties going to each individual artist instead of having a gigantic royalty pool that the artists all pull from. Do we know why originally in streaming? It was this model where it's only you're only counting streams as opposed to that divvying up uh, the money in this user-friendly way? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the way it currently is is much simpler for Spotify because if we go to the user-centric model, they sort of have to track a different royalty output for each individual user and each individual artist, whereas right now they really only have to do that for the artist. So I think one thing, it might have been a much simpler proposition logistically um, with the current model. And Spotify actually claims that there's so there would be so much of a burden to switch into this model in terms of the logistics that the money they would have to spend on that would lower the amount of money they were able to give out so then middle class artists might not end up making any more money anyway. Well, and uh, as you alluded to in the piece, there's a little, I, I personally call BS on that because <laughs> listen, the ability to do uh, analytics on these platforms, the, the, the idea that they couldn't keep track uh, and, and slice and dice the data that, that, that granularly is, is complete BS to me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then also you, in your piece, you pointed out that like they're able to, at their year end, sort of like, this is what happened on Spotify over the course of the year. They're able to give you that data if they want to. Right, right. Yeah, actually, Zoe Keating used to um, work in tech in San Francisco before she became a full-time musician, and her response was, that's kind of what computers are for, to be able to calculate these kind of things. So I think I definitely agree that if they really wanted to, they could. And the fact that other services are considering it or planning to implement it means it's definitely something that's technically feasible. And to be clear, um, do uh, do we know that uh, all of the streaming services, they all use the same you know penny per, per stream model like a Apple Music does as well? Yeah, all the all the mainstream ones um, have adopted this similar model, and there's also sort of talk about well, if one streaming service does it differently, that's going to just create more like logistical headaches when you have different services that are paying in different ways. So there's that sort of an argument too that the industry needs to be, sort of be in lockstep. So if they're going to switch, it needs to all be done at once versus having one service try to do it by themselves. Okay, well, let's let's get into that. The idea that um, you could switch to this different model that might cause for less income inequality. So if you're a big star, say a Drake, um, mm -hmm. are you making big money off of streaming? Or is, like, I, I'm sure Drake is making millions of dollars, but I would imagine he makes more millions of dollars off of touring. You know, that's the whole thing. Um, is, is 
is being on streaming platforms for an artist like Drake, is that a loss leader or is that a, a significant revenue stream that they wouldn't want to uh, not give up, but like uh, minimize in any way? I think it's actually something that's kind of in transition because, you know, I guess when streaming first came out, it was sort of seen as more like the wave of the future or something, something that artists needed to do to be able to attract young people. But um, it's grown so quickly and the industry as a whole, like recording music has sort of turned around and actually started growing in revenue in the last three to four years after 15 years of decline because of piracy. So we're kind of seeing a transition where streaming was at one point sort of this lost leader type thing like you're saying, but now it's actually becoming very central to um, the industry and their actually projections that uh, in the 2020s sometime, like the streaming version of the industry will be just as big as the 90s version of the industry was, the CD era. So for artists like Drake, for example, they're going to really want to make sure that whatever the model is, it's going to benefit them because this is going to become a bigger and bigger portion of their revenue pie as time goes on. Yeah, I've seen I've seen those graphs too. That that looks like uh, the dream of the 90s is still alive in streaming. But right. the um, but you you, you raised an interesting point. Um, so you know even Spotify famously loses money still. Um, mm -hmm. And so the smaller artists aren't making that much money. So is it really the the bottom line is is that the people that are doing well in streaming rising to the fore are the record companies because once again their revenue stream is is coming back in a meaningful way. Oh yeah, for sure. And they also own um, stakes in Spotify. So whether or not Spotify, the company itself, is making money, it's still worth X billion dollars right now, and the the record companies bought in 10 years ago and it was worth nothing. So they've actually made a lot of money. And there's actually been debate about whether or not the artists themselves deserve some of that stake because obviously they're the ones who have built Spotify into this really valuable platform. So I would definitely say the record companies are going to make off the best for sure. And then you sort of have the mega artists who benefit a lot from the way a pipeline like Spotify is designed with the playlist sort of guiding you to their hits. Like when Drake's last album came out, like, it was basically like Spotify became like a Scorpion app, basically, in terms of the promotion for the album. So like for big artists, like Spotify can be really, really beneficial, too. And I think one reason that people like Zoe Keating really interested in this new model is because they're trying to figure out, OK, if the record labor is going to win and the big artists are going to win, how can I as an independent person also start generating money sort of in this new paradigm? So if if there if we are going to move to a new paradigm, um, you said in the piece that the artists have to uh, collectively get together and push for it. But that, but that makes me wonder, like, who would be the one with the most to lose if the current model goes away? Would it be the record companies? Would it be Spotify? Who, Or would it be uh, big artists like Drake or, or all three? So the exact details are actually difficult to predict. Like, there's been some studies. There was a study in Finland, actually, that said that um, under the current model, basically the, the top half of a percent of tracks get about 10% of the money. And if we switch to this user-centric model, then those tracks would only get about 5% of the money. But you don't necessarily know whether the, the actual money is going to, let's say, let's say, like Drake's back catalog or to people like Zoe Keating. Um, so you kind of have to actually implement the model at scale to figure that out. Um, so that's kind of up in the air. But I would say that Spotify wouldn't, would not benefit because there would be less incentive for people to like create extra accounts on Spotify to try to generate streams or that kind of thing. Um, so, and also the company would have to do like a more, they'd have to revamp their entire royalty system, which would cost some amount of expense for them. 
So the, uh, I think as an industry leader, they have very little incentive to want to change this unless there's a lot of activism about it from artists or artists pressuring labels to do it. Well, or maybe even from fans so that I don't have to give any pennies to Justin Bieber. But um, <laughs> you, you mentioned two things um, real quick before before we end. In the existing model, there there are reasons to shift to a different model because, number one, um, there, there are examples of fraud. Like if it's a pay-per-stream sort of thing, um, you can set up bots. Um, this is actually SoundCloud more where you can pay for, you know, plays and things like that. But if it weren't the, the, the incentive for the industry to change their analytics would actually be for better accountability. So uh, you, you couldn't just have these things where, you know, I set up a bot that, that, that plays my song a million times or whatever. And then, and then just basically it's like ad fraud, but, but for song plays. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, one of the sources I interviewed for my story compared it directly to ad fraud and sort of talking about how, yeah, if you just want to set up an account right now, pay $10 a month and stream 24-7, um, you're likely not going to be stopped. Like Spotify has some uh, fraud tracking technologies, but as we both know, ad fraud is still widely existent. Um, and there was this uh, incident, I guess, a couple of years ago where someone was able to generate a million dollars in royalties in Bulgaria by setting up uh, 1,200 dummy accounts, basically. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's not really a way to get rid of that problem unless you change the incentive structure. And then, um, lastly, I did a piece, I think it was last week, uh, a different piece than yours about how the the length of songs is actually getting shorter because artists are incentivized, again, uh, to go for this, uh, the more plays, the the more pennies, and so it's sort of the analogy I made is, you know, if you release a three-hour epic movie, it can only play in in a theater so many times a day, but if you release a a nice ninety-minute movie, it can play multiple more times a day. So um, it's sort of the current model is warping the very nature of of the music business at the moment. Yeah, no, that's definitely a really fascinating insight. I think you see that especially in hip-hop with a lot of the artists who sort of started on SoundCloud. A lot of these current pop hits from them are like even under three minutes. And for those kind of people, those kind of artists, like they're going to be making more money that way. So it's definitely not only a sort of issue of fairness or even sort of like wanting to support the artists you like, but it also is actually like affecting the music you get to listen to. Well, I also said last week that, you know, as technology evolves, that's that that changes how the music is. Back in the 50s, you could only put three minutes of of, of music on a side of a of a single. And then when you had albums, then it became you put 10 songs on there or whatever. So, um, yeah. Do you think that final question? Do you think that um, and this is totally <laughs> a judgment call? Do you think that we'd get better music if we switched to this um, sort of user-friendly model in the way that it would be almost realigning the audience with the interests of the artists that, that they actually care about most? Yeah, I mean, I think it creates, it at least at the very least, it removes negative incentives for people to make either songs that are short just to be streamed a lot or to make just songs that are going to be put on repeat in like coffee shops or boutique stores, which is often like kind of boring music. So I think at the very least, it sort of, it removes negative incentives and it could create a situation where fans feel a little bit more sort of motivated or 
they feel a little more direct connection between what they're doing on Spotify and supporting artists and maybe kind of getting back to that sense of my music consumption is actually part of my fandom and not just uh, an all-you-can-listen-to all buffet that I happen to pay for every month. <laughs>